This is Rag Radio. I'm Thorn Dreyer, and welcome. Thanks for joining us one more week. Uh, Rag Radio is produced in the studios of KOOP 91.7 FM, KOOP.org in Austin, Texas. It's a um, community radio station, uh, collectively run, all volunteer, and uh, it's a very cool place. Uh, we, um, we are also rebroadcast on several other stations and our podcasts, uh, are on a number of platforms. The podcasts have legs. <laughs> That's an interesting image, isn't it? <laughs> a little podcast running longer. <laughs> so, uh, I want to, most of the gang is here. Uh, Tracy Schultz, who's my engineer and, and, and partner in crime. Yeah, yeah. Tracy, you're still, you're still, <laughs> still criming, <there>. still, <laughs> still partnering. <laughs> Happy uh, to be here. Su- Susie Sheeler, who's now joined our team. Hello. Hey, Susie. Roger Baker is not here because, uh, as with a lot of people we know, Roger came down with the grunge. <laughs> There's sort of a flu epidemic uh. going on. Uh, and uh, uh, Bruce Melton is my guest. Hola. Bruce has been, uh, has been on the show four other times, I think, uh, or five other times. Oh, if it's my fifth time, I get a jacket then, right? Yeah, that's and, and we're getting it. It's being done. It's at the printer. <laughs> so um, so uh, we're going to talk about climate change. Uh, Bruce has, a, has a, a terrific article in Truthout, uh, which is a progressive website for those of you who don't know it, and it's, a, it's something you should really check out. Um, it's, it's the headline, the title of it is, Climate change 2017, what happened and what it means. Um, so, uh, and we're going to talk about that, but Bruce has a lot else to talk about uh, in terms of climate science. Uh, and uh, there's, I, I, I wish I could say that it's terribly uplifting. <laughs> so, it's but fascinating. Bruce always, it's fascinating. There you go. <laughs> it's absorbing. Uh, it's that frightening. Could mean anything. So. Okay, Bruce Melton is a, a longtime contributor to the RAG blog and guest on RAG Radio. Uh, also writes about climate change for Truth Out on a regular basis. Um, Bruce is, is a professional engineer, environmental researcher, filmmaker, author, and CEO of the Climate Change Now Initiative in Austin. Uh, the Climate Change Now Initiative is a nonprofit outreach organization reporting the latest discoveries in climate science in plain English. <laughs> uh, information on his book, Climate Discovery Chronicles, can be found along with more climate change writing, climate science outreach, and critical environmental issue documentary films at climatediscovery.org. Climatediscovery.org. Um, did I leave anything out? That's it. Maybe a little bit about the band. He's, a, he's oh, also yeah. a musician and has a band uh, that's called Climate Change, right? It is. It's called Climate Change. How amazing. And, uh, <laughs> and we will actually uh, play some music uh, from Climate Change at our breaks. Ruth, uh, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. But you, uh, you came up with a list of things, and I think it's fascinating, uh, that Donald Trump has done. And we all had, I mean, and I mean, if we had a list of everything Donald Trump has done bad in all fields, we, you know, we could, couldn't even get started here, but specifically in the area of of the environment. 
So let it, tell, t- tell us about it. Well, this is just a, the climate change-related things he's done. Oh, not just I, the, not I, I, the I, whole I, environment, just climate change. I literally gave a, a talk last night with, with the environmental things, all environmental things, or at least a bunch of them. It's not a complete list. Four pages. This is only two pages. I, I want to run through them real quick. Um, the, the Trump administration is repealing the Clean Power Plan. They've approved the Keystone XL pipeline. They shut down the EPA's climate change website in April. When it returned, it was half missing. It returned in July. They canceled Obama's climate action plan. Trump dropped the climate Trump dropped climate change from the list of national security threats in the in the U.S. national security strategy. He revoked FEMA sea level rise flood risk standards. He abandoned the most important climate treaty in the world, the Paris Agreement. He reversed the ban on offshore oil exploration along the Gulf Coast, the Atlantic Coast, the Pacific Coast, and in the Arctic on Alaska. The Trump administration is stonewalling on rules for the first vehicle fuel economy standards implemented in 40 years by President Obama. They disbanded the Federal Advisory Panel for the National Climate Assessment. They're rescinding the freeze on new coal coal leases on public lands. They're reneging on methane reporting requirements. They're scrapping the anti-dumping rule for coal companies. They've reversed their decision on the Dakota Access Pipeline. They're killing the Northern Bering Sea Climate Resilience Plan. They've rescinded royalty regulations for oil and gas and coal. They're removing environmental review requirements to con- that consider greenhouse gases. They have reversed the National Park's climate order. They're doing away with EPA's calculations for the social cost of carbon. They're gutting fracking regulations on public lands. They're gutting regulations on oil and gas drilling in some national parks. They're gutting oil rig safety regulations. They're rescinding regulations for offshore oil and gas exploration by floating vessels. They're rescinding the ban on drilling in the Arctic Wildlife Refuge. They're not acting on new methane emission limits at new oil and gas wells. And Trump's EPA EPA director, Scott Pruitt, has sued the EPA four times to block the clean power plan when he was the Oklahoma attorney general, and he sued them once against methane emission rules. And Trump's Trump-appointed Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who was ExxonMobil's CEO from 2006 until his appointment as Secretary of State. So who's ready to take action? <laughs> Everybody in the studio Everybody has raised the their hand. That's great. If so not if you're already doing it, so. if you want to take action, Sierra Club, SierraClub.org has well over. I counted 246, but it's counting that many things is hard. Well over 240 actions that you can take. Just go to SierraClub.org and look up uh, uh, their actions, action items. Um, you could consider helping the Citizens Climate Lobby. They're a national organization that has uh, chapters near you, a uh, chapter in Austin, chapters all over. Uh, what they do is they write letters to the editor. Excellent way to promote climate change awareness amongst our peers. Letters to, letters to the editors are letters from our peers. You can also work with Indivisible. Uh, Indivisible has uh, chapters in every major city in the U.S. They are a resisting organization. 
resisting the Trump administration's actions, whatever they are. And <laughs> you can help participate. They generally have a list of actions, many, many actions every week, um, uh, lobbying our, our elected officials, uh, writing letters and things like that. Yeah. So thank you. And <laughs> And carry on. <laughs> Individual, all, ind, Indivisible also have a, has a great uh, hashtag resist uh, white on black T-shirt that I have. That I love. Right, so, is that taking an action? It is. <laughs> Wear your slogan. Be your bull bo- billboard. Be your billboard. Uh, okay. Well, so where does that put Donald Trump in the pantheon of presidents? <laughs> Um, it, it, by far, it's just uh, extraordinary, unprecedented, beyond the definition. And how much real change is coming from all of that stuff you read? A lot of things have happened. Um, a, a lot of them are executive orders. Um, I, I don't think anything in here was a campaign promise or a verbal thing. This is These are all actions that, if they are carried out and completed, they'll do what I said. Um, Many of them, though, like uh, the Paris Agreement, that is going to be, I believe, Trump's term will be up if he lasts that long before the mechanisms in Paris allow the U.S. actually to um, uh, uh, remove themselves from this international treaty. Um, The Clean Power Plan, another instance, it takes as long to uninstall federal rules, EPA rules like the Clean Power Plan, as it does to install them. Uh, You have to go through a very similar process. So a lot of this stuff, you know, thankfully, it's cumbersome to undo it. And um, but there are other things that that are not cumbersome. Are there uh, either legal are even uh, uh, congressional actions in the works to counter some of this? Uh, some things. I just are heard there today. Legal, legal challenges? Yeah, I just heard today or yesterday um, the Florida governor. Um, he says no offshore drilling. He says yeah. no offshore drilling around Florida. And Trump said, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so it, it's like <laughs> we never know. It, it, it's, 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 if it wasn't so catastrophic, it would be entertaining. Um, and, you know, it's still entertaining. But it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an ever-changing show. And um, fingers crossed that no more damage will be done than uh, <laughs> no damage will be done. That we'll be able to stop all of this. And we can do this if we want by taking action. What's, Everyone took a lot of action. With that, uh, what's interesting about Florida is that they specifically mentioned the Everglades and pre- pre- preserving the Everglades as part of the reason it's like why they were, were abstaining like, from offshore shore drilling, which to me is a bit of an acknowledgement that there's a chance that offshore drilling could change the environment. Uh, do, do, you, do you find anything? <laughs> a chance that it could. Yeah. Do you, do, do, well, there's a propensity. There's a there's a yeah. there's an opportunity there. So is they, are they being uh, hypocritical? Uh, like with some of these uh, it's like uh, motions and then reversals and things like that. I think we're looking at Trump. Trump did what the last person he talked to told him to do. Hey, that's pretty obvious. The, yeah. The uh, I, I think the, uh, Tracy, the overwhelming thing with. The Everglades and and uh, areas of our coast that are literally inches above sea level is the great threat of sea level rise. It's like ten to a hundred times greater than the consensus um, 
estimates that we've had um, for the last 30 years. And, you know, the reason for that is that um, all of these consistent estimates, we haven't been able to uh, estimate sea level rise from ice sheet collapse. We can figure it out from this ice cube melt model that is, is used everywhere. But when we start getting into the collapse of these continent sized two mile high, two mile high, high piles of ice, it's just really, really advanced science. And there's not a whole lot of robustness yet in that science. Yeah, and, and, and I think that, that Governor Scott. Scott. Florida governor. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's the the Florida is one one of the most vulnerable places to sea level rise, and two, uh, it's based so much on the tourist industry. It's based so much on is that it, it, these Republicans uh, who have these grandiose theories about things. Once it comes to their home, <laughs> their, Mar-a-Lago, you know, then it, 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 then things can change. Well, that's, that's the, the global warming psychologists, the guys who are trying to help us figure out why in the world we don't trust climate scientists when we trust almost all scientists implicitly. What they're telling us is that the one thing that can really change is personal impacts or impacts to our close friends or colleagues. And unfortunately, it's likely that's, that's what it's going to take. But, but we, can still, we can still try, everybody, if you can. Okay. Climate change 2017, what happened and what it means. Uh, what happened? Part of it's what Trump did. Uh, but give us some highlights. Well, climate change is changing really rapidly. Um, and we're, we're seeing that happen in extreme events. And last year, the extreme events became even more extreme than they have been in previous years. Uh, let me start with Harvey. Harvey was this uh, hurricane that went from nothing to cat four in a heartbeat. Um, it came on shore real close to Austin. Uh, it came up next to Austin, just east of here, and stalled out and rained 20 inches, backed up, went back out into the Gulf, then came back in over Houston. Um, actually, no, it didn't. It, it just kept sending these rain trains in over Houston and created the, the extraordinary 50-plus inches of rain there. And then it went on um, out in the Gulf just offshore and, and, and hit uh, Louisiana. But it did this over five days. It was basically a five-day stall. We get stalls, but we don't get stalls that are five days. Now, there's more than just a stall going on. Because it's warmer, we had more rain. And uh, one piece of research uh, says that the amount of rain um, was 38%, which surprised a lot of scientists because we've had about a degree of sea warming. And what that does is it increases moisture in the atmosphere by about 7% per degree C. We've had a degree of warming, so what the scientists were expecting was for the rainfall to have increased about 7%, but increased 38%. But that's only part of the story. If if Harvey had been a normal rain, a normal hurricane, it would have it would have rained about thirty six percent, thirty six inches, based on what these scientists are saying, uh, which is an increase of thirty eight percent over what it would have rained in our old climate. But it rained fifty inches over this extraordinary area. So what's happening is not only are we getting this greater than expected increase in rainfall, but we're having these things called dynamics. 
um, they have increased uh, a lot too, and that's all because of warming. It's like a pot of water on the stove, a little bit warmer, and that water starts boiling. The, the, the dynamics in the water start getting bigger and bigger. So we've had all of these things combined, and, and, and the bottom line is, is what it ended up being was uh, a 25,000-year storm. When you look at the area covered, 15,000 square miles over 24 inches. And that means what? Does that mean theoretically it would be one time in every 25,000 years? On average, a- one time in 25,000 years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, that's a, this is a – Tracy, you had something first? No, no, no. no. This is oh. imp- impressive. I didn't <laughs> know amazing. about the numbers in the years because around here they always talk about the 100-year flood, and we've had several of those. Uh, recently, so yeah. it's just kind of funny about that. But yeah. I haven't heard about the it, twenty five hundred. It's all changing. <laughs> What's yeah. Okay, we need to take a break. Uh, my guest is Bruce Melton, uh, and we're talking about climate change and especially how cri- climate change is accelerating. Uh, and uh, I'm Thorne Dreyer, and this is Rag Radio. <laughs> Okay, I'm Thorne Dreyer. This is Rag Radio. My guest is uh, Bruce Melton, and we're talking about climate change and uh, the last year. Uh, what we've, uh, I think what you were just talking about was extreme weather incidents and stuff. Uh, and you were talking about Hurricane Harvey. Uh, why don't you pick up where you were? You know, Harvey is just one instance. I mean, yeah. we're having these thousand-year floods all over the place or, or greater than 100-year floods. And normally we only have those once every 100 years on average. Um, the California fires uh, are another example of, of our climate gone berserk. Um, the National Oceanic, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, that's NOAA, says that the recent drought, 2011 through 2015, was the driest four consecutive years since record-keeping began. Now, droughts are usually ended by floods. And what happened after the recent drought was that average rainfall across California um, Southern California was the wettest it's ever been. Northern California was the second wettest it's ever been. So uh, unprecedented drought was ended by unprecedented flood. 
It's these things are just that's what climate change does. It puts everything on steroids. Um, fire across the West. That's uh, another really uh, unimaginable topic. Um, where, my, where my numbers go? Uh, and, and not only fire, but now mudslides. And now mudslides. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Fires on the West. Um, Sierra Nevada Research Institute, fellow named Anthony Westerling. Extraordinary stuff. Wildfire season in the western U.S. has increased by over 60% since the 1970s. Uh, the average burn time of a wildfire has increased nearly 800% from six days to 52 days. And because of deeper drying, uh, because of earlier snow melt, because, because winter is now two months shorter than it was 30 years ago, we've got all this extra warmth. Evaporation is nonlinear with warmth. That means that a little bit of warming creates a lot more evaporation. The burned area has increased an astonishing 1,200% in the last 30 years. And, and, and this is all because of warming. The, these researchers say that uh, human-caused ignition has played a very small role in, in these increasing wildfire, wildfire trends. Um, let's see what we got. Why are these things happening? We've got this, this warming uh, at the poles is more than it is at the... Uh, uh, in, in lower latitudes. And the reason is, is we get ice melt at the poles because it's generally covered by ice nine months or more of the year. Dirt, soil, trees, water absorb nine times more um, uh, uh, of the sun's energy than snow does. Snow just reflects it all back into space harmlessly as light. So we get this warming feedback and that's creating more warming in the far north than we're having elsewhere because they're losing all their snow cover. What this is doing is it's freaking out the jet stream. The jet stream is now has bigger loops. And, you know, the jet stream is what carries our weather system. It pushes the fronts along, all these low-pressure systems that brings us these storms. It's making these loops bigger, more powerful, and it's slowing down their west-to-east transition uh, across the planet. So we get stalled weather systems. This is what stalled Harvey, what created the five-day stall instead of just a normal day or two stall. Um, it's what created this persistent weather pattern out over California this year when we should have had the wet season. The wet season started in December. This last round of fires we had out there was after the wet season had started, but they had this persistent weather pattern caused by these the jet stream um, and, and their... Uh, it's, it's a slowed progression west-east across the planet caused itself by greater warming in the north than in the south, changing the planetary dynamics of how the jet stream works. Okay, before you go to that next, your next item there, extreme weather events. Okay, let's say there's one. You know, even Hurricane Harvey, uh, that's one thing. But do we really look, is it the fact that we have so many happening and, and continuing to happen? Is that where the story really is told? Most of these things that are making the news, the science, you know, Harvey and the, and the fires is the exception. It takes a year or two right. for, the, for the evaluation to be done. Most of these things that are making the news, the science is saying, yeah, there was a component of climate change. It's still difficult to say because our climate has just recently changed. And it takes 30 years, literally, to create a weather pattern. 
So it's really, really hard to say. But when you're getting these things like 25,000-year storms or, you know, maybe a little bit more realistically until we have another Harvey, when you're getting these multiple thousand-year storms, like Austin had 2,000-year storms three years apart, two years apart, 2013 and 2015, the big floods we had here in those years, and both of them on Halloween, they were in excess of 1,000. Matter of fact, one of them was in excess of 2,000-year storm. Uh, once we start having these things more often, it's a little bit easier for the science to say, yeah, it was caused by climate change. But generally right now they're just saying enhanced because when they run their models and look at these things, they're not near this extreme. Like Harvey was 38% more extreme. It created 38% more water. So that's one way they're saying, yeah, it was enhanced. It could have probably happened anyway, but it was enhanced. So it's, it's a challenge. I've, I've got a quote here, and I'll, I'll end up with it in a little bit. Um, about how how we can tell it's, it's, it's just a real telling thing it's like when, when climate scientists finally figure out that yeah that one was really caused by climate change how much more extreme is it going to be than the extremes we've been having lately yeah. so Susie um the Gulf Stream essentially is shut down. Is that right? It's about 40% slowed. So that, I think, to me, would be something that we don't have to guess is climate change. There's this thing called the Atlantic Oscillation uh-huh. that does that to the Gulf Stream. It, it's a many decades long pattern, and it slows and speeds up. So, and that's another reason why it's hard to see these things through the science, because the science does have these cycles. And the deal is, is that whether it's a natural cycle or caused by climate change, it's still an extreme event. And the only way we're going to tell is to stand in the future and look back. But the models say, the physics say, all of these things are going to be increasing. Now, the science is something that's driven by statistical certainty. Scientists and other professionals are very different creatures, engineers and doctors, they base their judgments on professional opinion. Scientists do not do that. It's based on statistics. So what we need is more engineers and doctors, medical doctor kind of professionals, creating these opinions because the science is just going to say, well, they're both part of the same climate you know, even though one of them only happens every 25,000 years. We still had 25,000-year storms in our old climate. It's just that we're very likely going to have many more 25,000-year storms. It's like the, um, the extremes happening today, um, uh, the Harvey extremes, that 38% research. Um, they're saying that the 100-year the storm event under current conditions uh, by the end of the century will be happening every four years. Um, that, uh, I mean, just a real good indication of how much more compressed climate change is going to make everything. That would mean the 25,000-year storm is going to happen uh, every 1,250 years, something like that, um, which, yeah, we hopefully that will only be as often as has happened because the climate science is, has been proven again and again to understate because climate scientists, if they're wrong, 
you know, they're not going to be able to publish their papers anymore. So they're, by definition, a scientist is conservative in how he states things and he understates so he doesn't exaggerate. Well, even taking that into account, and when you talk about science being fact-driven and that we need people who are coming up with opinions, who are reading reading the statistics and looking at trends and so forth, still climate scientists are virtually unanimously uh, convinced that uh, that man made uh, that that man is greatly affecting the change in the climate. There's a lot of reasons too for that. Like one thing that a lot of folks don't know is they can measure the carbon in the atmosphere. They can tell where it comes from, and it's because of of uh, radiocarbon 14. It's the carbon they use to to, to date ancient artifacts. And it's this, it's carbon in life everywhere, and it's 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 radioactive. There's a very very small portion of the carbon in our environment that's radioactive, and it's radioactive because it gets bombarded by cosmic rays, and 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 it knocks off a, a, a proton or something like that, and it and it makes it radioactive. Excuse my imperfect physics, <laughs> um, and and so it, over time this stuff decays, and with fossil fuels, you know, made out of carbon, um, all of the radioactive carbon has decayed back to non-radioactive carbon-12. And so they can measure the amount of carbon-14 versus the amount of carbon-12 in the atmosphere and tell how much of it that we have put up there from burning fossil fuels. And then because we know that carbon dioxide is a warming gas, then it's, it's all just more physics calculations after that but they can actually tell how different our atmosphere is today because of this very small piece of radioactive carbon uh, d- d- before you get back to your survey of the of the last year um w- do you think that what's happening especially with all these extreme events is starting to make a dent in people's consciousness uh, do you think that it's affecting climate denial? Absolutely. In, in Texas, even, just an excellent example. You know, Austin, the Republic of Austin here is a, is a progressive bastion. But Texas as a whole is not. But uh, there's a Yale Climate Maps, um, tremendous research for understanding climate opinions across the country down to the congressional district level, the county level, uh, incredible resource. What Yale says about climate opinions in Texas is that uh, over 70% of Texans believe climate change is happening, global warming is happening. Over 50% believe that it's caused by man. And here's the crazy one. Uh, it's, I think it was 74% support carbon dioxide regulations in Texas. And, and the, the really telling thing, too, is that those numbers are almost identical to the national numbers. They're almost identical to pr- more progressive states on average than Texas. Uh, they're almost identical across the board. All the states, when you look at the numbers, they're within four, five, six points of being identical, which to me is, is, is a really telling thing. It means that on average, everybody's on board. It's just that people don't understand the risks, how soon it's happening, uh, who it's going to happen to, where it's going to be happening, and that you know all of these extreme things are going to become non-linearly more extreme because that's just the way the climate works. A little bit of warming creates a lot more extremes. But people are 
awfully into living now and not being able to see the future and, and what it's going to do for their children. Uh, this is, I think, a common problem, is that even people who on a th theoretical level understand that's what's happening, changing lives, the debate is a slower process. The debate, too. I mean, only half people think it's caused by man. 98% of climate scientists understand that it's caused by man. So, you know, the public is going to have a bit of a diminished urgency um, mm -hmm. because of that belief, because of this debate, this perceived debate that continues to happen. I was curious about uh, industries. Uh, like a friend of mine works in wine, and in Europe, wine vineyards are moving their vineyards because of climate change and it's ha and they're making plans now to take over different areas that would be because they're predicting in the future that have better returns it's like as things change and so do you see uh like a filtering down it's like a, if, if major corporations and stuff like that are making those moves it's like that the that it will go through the employees and things like that and friends and friends it's like and then they'll start to consider some of this yeah, I think maybe a filtering up. Yeah, yeah that's, um, that's it's, more likely. It's it? momentous uh, habits. The momentum of the of past actions, I think, is what's holding us back a lot now. Um, we don't know what climate change is. We don't know how to behave. We know what we've done in the past, and we know that the scientists, the perceived debate says that it's questionable. So, you know, we're 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 driven by our leaders and you know the only really way that that we can overcome that that it appears right now is bottom up and that's because top down has just not worked very well for the last 30 years and top down is so uh, money driven yes it's <laughs> so profit yes. driven yes. that uh and it, that's that overwhelms everything else okay what else what's on our all right let's see more on extreme precipi uh, precipitation uh, this is projected the u.s will see 15 to 40 percent increase in maximum precipitation up to 80 percent increase in total precipitation uh, this is by the end of the century area covered by each individual storm will increase by a factor of two um, extreme storms uh, in excess of three and a half inches per hour will increase in the central U.S. by 380%. Um, the highest increase occurs in Canada and the U.S. Northeast, where rainfall rates in excess of three inches per hour are almost unprecedented, unrepresented in the current climate, and they become frequent in the future. Um, these kind of rainfalls are actually happening already. And it's the one thing about the climate science is it's, it's behind it's it's unprecedented. It's it's uh, underestimated, like I, I've said earlier. Right. Um, so a lot of these things that we're seeing happening, the movement of the uh, uh, the wine industry, uh, Western Washington State has long been um, the home of apple growers. Now California wineries are moving into Western Washington State because. A California environment is getting a little bit adverse, and the Washington environment is getting better. I mean, it's it's happening around us right now. You know, one of the things that is the fact, the effects, the worldwide effects are going to include some things that change the the politics, that change the the geopolitics, uh, that uh, drought uh, and and will bring hunger, uh, and some. It's in other words, there's so many sort of global effects that climate change has on people's lives it's it's insane i mean this is the a, a real important one um the noaa 
they've got a new sea level rise report that came out a year ago, January of 2017. Uh, they're saying now nine inches of sea level rise by 2030. Um, you know, uh, in 2016, NOAA also says that we've got data collected now but not published yet, and it takes years to go from data collection to data publishing, it's still not published yet, that says that we'll see 10 feet of sea level rise by mid-century, or up to 10 feet of sea level rise. But we do have, the, and that's, that's to come yet, and they've, they've warned us, this is coming. Uh, so NOAA says that uh, nine inches of sea level rise by 2030. When we get to nine inches of sea level rise, the nuisance flooding, will have increased by 25 times. And what this means is that these floods that we normally get with normal extreme high tides every year um, in the range of two to three to five feet, um, they will increase by 25 times. And part of the reason is, is that, you know, right at the ocean, you've got this big jump in sea level rise of a foot or two. Well, when you get nine inches, that means that these normal, very small increases in tidal range are going to flood much further inland. So by 2030, we're going to be seeing this nuisance flooding increasing by 25 times. And what that will mean is that that's the point that they estimate that resource abandonment will begin. Okay. And that means that people will just walk away. Insurance will be no longer, their, their patients will be gone, their money will be gone, and they will just walk away from their resources. Okay, Bruce Melton. Uh, it's very enlightening, and uh, but it's not. It doesn't necessarily make you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. I'm Thorne Dreyer. This is Rag Radio. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Thank you very much, Tracy Schultz. Uh, and uh, my guest, Susie Sheeler, is here. And my guest is uh, Bruce Melton, uh, who has been a longtime contributor to the Rag Blog and Rag Radio. Uh, his new article uh, about the 27th year in review and climate change 
is on Truthout, and it's also just been posted on the RAG blog, so you can go to the ragblog.com and find it there. Uh, and so Susie had a question before we go to the next stage here. Yeah, I was wondering um, with with everything that's happening in the um, in the various parts of of all the world with 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 the global warming and and the carbon in the in the atmosphere. What about the insects and the disease that is going to come along and, and and start attacking us as well? What happens in this situation? I mean, that's obviously going to kill scores of humans without dealing with the rest of the situation that's going to kill us all off as well the effect on the ecology yeah good point you know that we've been warned for 30 years that insects and disease would increase on a warmer planet one of the main focuses of the climate change now initiative and our filming efforts is uh, forest health Uh, across the western u.s 89 million acres of forest have been mostly killed by a native insect gone berserk because of warming. It's called the mountain pine beetle, Dendroctonus ponderosiae. Uh, it, uh, it, uh, it, it eats the cambium layer beneath a bark on ponderosa and a lodgepole pine trees, and sometimes on spruce and fir trees. The, the outbreak has been so bad at times that these bar- these bugs that only eat pine trees have shifted to eating spruce and fir trees because there wasn't enough room left in the pine trees. 89 million acres. Yellowstone is 2 million acres. The the bugs have eaten and these are native beetles. They've they've um, they're they're uh, this pandemic. It started about the turn of the century and it's it's almost over now because these bugs have eaten all of their prey species. Almost all of the lodgepole pine, which is their main prey, across the North American West is, is dead now. They, these bugs, they'll kill 60 to 90% of all the trees in the forest that they attack, and they've attacked almost all the trees. It, it amounts to 20% of the forest, the Western North American forest, and these trees are all dead. It's an extraordinary thing that's happened, and it's, it's you know, one of the reasons why we're filming it is nobody knows about it, or relatively few people know about it. Yeah, and, and we're going to go to the Amazon in a minute, which is <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> but you know, the inverse, in a sense, is that the incredible Texas drought. What what year was the drought? Eleven. Eleven. Uh, and with the, what three hundred million trees were killed, something yes. like that. Uh, so, what does that do? What about all the 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 life that lived off of those trees, or that? Uh, well, you know, obviously it goes away or it goes somewhere else. Yeah. Um, one of the things with climate change is that bugs and birds and other guys can, can migrate, but forests can't. Yeah. Or they can, but it takes decades to generations. Yeah. They can't just pick up their roots and move. Um, other things happen, too. This forest demise thing. The forest will grow back. The young are vigorous. They will be able to survive in a warmer climate up to a point when they start to mature. They're going to succumb to the same things that their predecessors succumbed to. Probably earlier because it'll be warmer in the future and the stressors will be greater. Um, but but we get different things. We get one of the, the strange things that I've noticed is that when you get these mass die-offs, you get 
ecosystems beginning anew. And you get uh, an entire influx of new species or more species because the new ecosystem is, is a lot different from the old ecosystem. Like in Bastrop with the big fires we had that were, you know, climate change played an extraordinary role in that. The uh, woodpeckers over there, you know, they're common in woods, but now we've got all these dead trees with all this bark and all these bugs underneath the bark. The woodpeckers are everywhere. So it, there's different things happen, and, you know, it's, it's just different things. It's, it's like it's all natural, but it's just happening out of sequence. Um, we've had these kind of abrupt climate changes before, but, and they've resulted in, you know, much, much worse things happening than we're seeing right now. So there's great, great risks, but things will continue to change. Mother Nature will continue to fill the void. Okay. Uh, what's, were you going to go to the Amazon? Amazon. Uh, Amazon has flipped from a carbon sink to a carbon source. You know, Amazon used to be the place where carbon dioxide would go to die. Sucked up by trees, gets put in the ground by the roots. Um, a drought in 2005 was so big. Uh, it's greater than a 100-year drought. It killed so many trees that the ability of the Amazon to suck up carbon dioxide briefly went away. For a year or two, several years, the, carb, the, the Amazon emitted through decaying uh, dead organic material, emitted more carbon dioxide than it absorbed. Another drought in 2010, even more extreme, the 2005 drought, recreated this whole conundrum, flipped it from a carbon sink to a carbon source. And then in 2016, we had the greatest drought yet um, that did the same thing. And today, it's the, the Amazon is probably still not absorbing carbon dioxide like it's supposed to be. Wow. Uh, you know. <laughs> Amazing stuff. We, we think, you know, the Amazon is this right. thing that, yeah. that, you know, the science before has said, oh, it's going to be all right until, yeah. you know, for 100 years. Yeah. It, it, but the impacts are happening so much sooner. So it was more because of the drought than it is because of lumbering? Or, yeah, deforestation. Oh, absolutely. Or deforestation. Uh, and fires, too. Yeah. It's because, because of the drought. It's right. because of trees killed by the drought. And that's what these researchers are saying. It's not deforestation. Um, it's not fires. It's, it's pinpointed very, very distinctly to trees killed by lack of water. And, and that, that's what comes up. It's like whenever I run into folks, it's like when they say it's like about climate change and climate change science, it's like and then they don't believe it. It's like, well, there's all these other industries. It's like whether it's uh, insect study or it's like land management or it's like forestation or things like that. That say it's like there is a pattern there and there's things that connect to each other that uh, has a cum cumulative effect and does that kind of help uh, like explain this or does it make it more complicated when, when you're trying to relay this message? are you saying that more industries pop up to deal with it or is like maybe it just it's like you know showing it's like there's other avenues it's like it's not just weather scientists that say that climate change is a thing it's like it's oh, all these oh, oh, other oh. scientists and all these other like fields of study that says like this is having an effect. Oh, okay. uh, I think so. I don't. I don't know if it helps or it makes it more complicated. We're just trying to like to 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 communicate to the average guy. Um, take the Amazon. Logging is impacting the overall size of the Amazon, so its gross productivity is declining. Uh, the amount of carbon dioxide that the Amazon could absorb um, is declining simply because of logging. 
um, simply because of subsistence farming. The amount of carbon dioxide that goes in the atmosphere is increasing because of subsistence farming when they do slash and burn. All these things do pile on one another. And the most important thing to remember is climate change is the biggest one. And in my next topic, the collapse of the West Atlantic Ice Sheet, you know, uh, illustrates this really well. We've got got a, a new uh, report. I mean, there's tons of new report. The one that I, I want to talk about now is a horizontal ice core, what the scientists are calling a horizontal ice core. You know, normally you set up on the ice sheet, you set up this big drilling rig and drill deep 10,000 uh, feet, two miles down into the ice sheet and, and, and retrieve these ice cores that are ancient, 100,000 uh, to a million years old in Antarctica. And what they've done uh, in... Uh, 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 on the West Antarctic ice sheet is they've they've uh, found this place where these catabatic uh, catabatic winds, which are the winds that fall down because of gravity because it's so cold, they fall down off the top of the ice sheet. They can reach literally reach two hundred miles an hour. Oh, They're extraordinary winds. They they can blow a hundred miles an hour sustained for days in a row. Um, these winds have scoured the ice in this one place on the West Antarctic ice sheet. And it's an area that's 60 or 80 miles long or something like that. And so the scientists have can sample the ice on the surface without drilling down. And it's, it's in a it's real interesting place. It's right at the junction of where it's the, um, the Rhone ice shelf um, comes off off the bottom of the seafloor 2,000 feet below. And what they can tell is that there was... Uh, because of, of the, the movement in the ice um, between the it was 100,000 100, years ago they sampled 100,000 no it was 14,000 years ago went back to um, the right before we came out of the last ice age and it was 52 feet of sea level rise in 400 years which is 12 and a half feet or 14 and a half feet of sea level rise in a hundred years. So we're, we're increasing the amount of knowledge that we've got about these natural sea level rise events that were between, between 10 and 20 feet of sea level rise in a hundred years. And so what this means is if we get this kind of sea level rise, if it happens again, which is what it's looking like it's going to do, is that we will um, you know, submerge uh, 10 feet of sea level rise along our coast, which compromises this vast amount of global infrastructure. What that'll do is create economic global distress like we've never had before. And that's going to be bad for everybody, not just the poor people, but it's going to be bad for the rich people, the rich nations too, because it will collapse our global economy. This is the kind of thing that people don't understand about climate change, and a lot of it is because it's not published very well, because they can't model these kind of things. Our projections are based on modeling. They're not based on historic, prehistoric evidence. So we've got a, a lot of great risks that are in addition to all the risks that we see coming at us every day. Right. What, you know, it's something that we've talked about before when you've been on, and, and it's certainly a topic that a lot of people discuss, but uh, it's the whole question of have we gone too far? Are we already on the other side of the curve? Or, you know, have, have we already stepped off the precipice? Can we get back? And if so, how? Some people say so, but that's based on emissions reductions alone. 
you know, our, our, if we were just to do Paris, the best case scenario, 80% emissions reductions by 2050, net zero, zero emissions by 2080, we would still warm up to triple what we've warmed already by 2050 and up to quintuple what we've warmed already by 2100. It's three and a half degrees C by 2100. If we did everything feasible that we could. What's happening now, though, is we've got new technologies that are allowing us to take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And we've got these these, uh, 40, 60-foot-tall industrial processes, field trials, constructed, taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere successfully for costs that will quite likely be no more than what we spend ensuring safe drinking water every year to return our climate to a healthy state. Okay. So we, but there's that's good news. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's something. I know that. That's definitely something. Yeah. yeah I, that you've you've always, whenever you've been on this show, you've always made a point to bring up the good news. But it seems to me the good news maybe becomes harder to <laughs> harder to to find as things go by. Well, uh, there's more. Oh, more good news. <laughs> All right. All righty then. The photovoltaics, solar solar costs have fallen dramatically. They're, they're, we've fallen, uh, it's just like 25 to 40 years ahead of schedule, uh, depending on whose projections you're looking at. Cheaper than the cheapest frack gas, solar electricity. Wind energy is falling almost as fast. It's also cheaper than the cheaper, cheapest frack gas, but solar is going to very likely even more, more outpace wind. And we're looking at one cent per kilowatt hour solar by 2025. Is what NG France, the biggest energy conglomerate in Europe, says. Um, frack gas right now is three and a half, four and a half cents. Um, coal four and a half, five and a half, six cents. So, and we're at three cents. We're at I mean, Austin had under two and a half cents their last solar bid just a month or two ago. Um, really, really, really good news far ahead of projections. Um, and I'm sorry, that's all the good news there is. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Bruce Melton, and we just got the good news. Uh, but basically what you're saying is that no matter what we do right now, if we don't have this, uh, you know, the new technologies, and who knows what might be developed next, and there's all, uh, there's a lot of people, you know, who, who are more sort of intelligent deniers who always believe that whatever the problems are, we're going to find a way to solve them through technology, through science. Uh, so, uh, but what's happening right now is that it's not enough for us to stop uh, what we're doing now. It, it, it's still going to be oh, increasing. absolutely. There, there's hope. There's a lot of hope. Uh, for the cost of safe drinking water across the planet every year, we can remove all of the already emitted climate pollution from the atmosphere. Now, there's a lot of folks out there that, that disagree because of physics and because of a disagreement in the scientific community about the basics. Um, but when you get down and dirty and into the weeds of the physics and, and review all the academic literature, the guys, the naysayers in the science are, are, are not accurate. And it's proven because we've got these industrial-scale field trials now that are completed and doing the job for what the previous research said they would do it for. Okay. So there's great hope. We just need to get our policy back on track 
and then understand that we've got a lot more work to do than just remove carbon from the sky. I mean, just reduce emissions. We've got to remove the already emitted climate pollution. Yeah, and that means we can't have Donald Trump <laughs> doing what he's – because the sum effect of all of that stuff that you read off at the beginning of the show – uh, you know, assuming when it all goes into effect, is substantial. Stalls but it's also symbolic, isn't it? That's not the only reason we don't need Donald Trump. <laughs> well, <laughs> we need a lot of there. action is what we need. Yeah, we really do. Okay. Uh, I want to thank you, uh, Bruce, for being oh, on the show. thank you guys for having me again. This and is a I lot love- of fun. Why don't you tell us one more time the good, the good things people can do, where they can go? Sierra Club. Sierra Club Action. Um... 246 different actions you can take. Uh, Citizens Climate Lobby does lobbying, and the most important is letter writing. And um, Indivisible, there's a chapter near you, Indivisible. Uh, They have um, actions, many actions, multiple actions every week that we can participate in. Okay. Thank you. Bruce Melton. Uh, I'm Thorne Dreyer. This is RAG Radio.